Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This episode is a sermon that Jonathan preached at the practice at Willow Creek Community Church on the story of Doubting Thomas and why it's not such a bad thing to doubt. Enjoy. That's incredibly kind and generous. Thank you. I do feel very at home here. Y'all are my people. I come here. I never want to leave. And um, yeah, this is, this is beautiful. I believe in this community. And to be here tonight with so many friends who are dear to me and uh, people like Aaron and people like Father Michael, I'm just, uh, this, is, this is really special. Thank you for having me back. I'll come back as much as y'all will have me. I'm just making the plug right now. Just like, you know, just... I'm not really doing anything. I'm basically a homeless guy who wanders around talking about Jesus, going to see you two on occasion. I don't really, I don't have anything else to do. Um, I do want to jump right, <laughs> to jump right in tonight. Um, I want to go to a, a text that uh, is coming to mean something else for me now than what it had before. Uh, if you have your Bibles and or your electronic devices, I still feel like this is less anointed, so I don't know why I'm doing it. I, I have my actual Bible in the car, Luke 24, uh, beginning with verse 36. Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. So he said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I've always loved this text. I've always loved the biblical character of Thomas always been a bit of an apologist for Thomas because I feel like Thomas gets unfairly treated. So here's a disciple of Jesus who it's put on record in the Gospels that he has one moment of doubt. One moment. And now for a couple of millennia he is doubting Thomas. That's the lamest thing I've ever heard in all my life. I went to Bible camp when I was 12 and it was for teenagers and I was the youngest one there and there was that one particular summer in which I got like wedgies every day like terrible wedgies like atomic wedgies like hang you from the ceiling by your underwear kind of wedgies and 20 years later when people see me on the street they don't say hey look there's wedgie martin like you get you get to outlive a thing 
But not if you're Thomas, not if you're Thomas. I can just imagine that whatever kingdom come looks like, that people are walking the streets of gold and people are going to see and the, the, you know, all the passers-by. Hey, look, everybody, it's Doubting Thomas. And Thomas is going to be like, screw you guys. Like, I'm just kind of like, it's entirely wrong. One moment of doubt, he's labeled forever. Nothing okay about that. But, you know, it's interesting because I think when I read this text before, and even when I preached about it, when I taught about Thomas before, I always had one angle and one angle only. When I would talk about Thomas, I would always preach about doubt because, well, that's Thomas. It's, all, it's about doubt. This is about doubt. And my instinct would be, you know, even now looking at that text is to want to preach like a, a really arty sermon about doubt. You know what I'm saying? Like doubt, it's easy to talk about in an arty way bring in like an Ingmar Bergman film because I really love Ingmar Bergman films and other dark kind of stark kinds of things and like just say wax eloquently about doubt and how God meets us in our doubt well I, you know it, there is plenty of space here for doubters and I spend much of my time doubting I've had many many doubts and I do believe that God meets us in our doubt but if you'll forgive me I'm just in no space right now to do an artsy intellectual sermon on doubt because it's not where I am. It's almost embarrassing to say uh, because it almost doesn't feel cool right now in some way, but like right now, God is so real to me and Jesus is more real to me than like this table. And it kind of dawned on me reading this text again a few weeks ago that the weight of the passage actually doesn't land on Thomas's doubt. <laughs> like, the, like doubt in the text is not the main thing Doubt is important. Doubt is necessary. Doubt, I would even say, is part and parcel of a robust faith. So there's place for doubt. But I just find it fascinating that I went for so many years and I would talk about this text and I would act as if it ends with Thomas's doubting. Because then Jesus gives this invitation and he says, all right, Thomas, well, touch me. I, didn't, I never heard it quite like I did when we we're reading this now touch and see touch and see Thomas if you need to feel something if you need to feel a body if you need to trace your fingers over the wound in my hand or in my side to know that this is real go ahead and touch me and I know he says you know blessed are the folks who who don't see don't feel but believe but to me the the more profound thing here is not Thomas's doubt but the invitation of Jesus in that doubt, that if you need to feel, if you need to see, if you need to taste, if you need to engage me with your senses, come on, I'm right here. <laughs> you, you can touch and see. You can feel and you can know. You know, um, one thing I think a lot these days about... Um, I don't know, like how, how I think and how I think some of us think. Um, I went through a stage in my life where, uh, when I was young, apologetics of a certain sort really appealed to me. And I was at a church one time where they brought in a guest speaker and they, he did a whole seminar on 10 ways to prove the Bible is true without using a scripture. Which might beg the question, why would you be interested in doing such a thing to begin with? But, for, but at the time, it sounded, it sounded kind of cool to me, you know? Now, now, retrospectively, I actually don't think that there are 10 ways to prove the Bible is true without using a scripture. And, spoiler alert, I don't think there's a way to prove the Bible is true. 
don't think there's a way to prove the resurrection is true. I deeply believe in all these things, but I'm just not one of these people who's like just sitting around waiting for a National Geographic to tell me that it's okay to like, oh, we found a remnant of Noah's Ark. Oh, it must all be real. But at the time that really appealed to me, the whole thing appealed to me because it gave you sort of like a, a good legal forensic defense for your faith, which is awesome because when you encountered that horrible atheist, And when you get, and when you have that conversation in which they say, well, I don't believe in objective truth, then you say, ah, but to say you don't believe in objective truth, is that not in and of itself an objective truth? And then they say, oh, I'm melting, lead me to your Jesus. (laughs) Works every time, every time. Scores of people have been converted that way. Isn't that how you came to Jesus? If someone intellectually just backed you into a corner like, oh, I, I, well, now I can't help but believe. You made the argument just right. I, you know, I don't, I, don't think that, I don't think that works. But by the same token, it's like if you, you come up in one kind of rationalism and, it, and it's, all about, it's all in your head and it's all about kind of defending your faith and it's all about ideas and having the right ideas and have the right ar- argument and the right evidence. With apologies to Josh McDowell, I don't believe in evidence that demands a verdict. I believe in the resurrection as an invitation, as a summons to, ex- to encounter Jesus, but I don't believe that there's necessarily, I don't think, God's not so much into demanding is the thing. God doesn't really do demands. <laughs> God does invitation, God does summons, God does appeal, there's an opportunity, but not, you know, I, I don't know so much about like demands. It's funny though because, and I really don't mean to, throw any shade this direction I always feel weird when I use millennial phrases I don't do it on purpose I'm very embarrassed right now I'm a 40 year old man and I'm talking about throwing shade what is that I don't mean to throw shade but like in the other way but I feel like I've known people like who 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 abandon their faith and like look I mean there's good and right reasons sometimes to abandon faith there's no judgment of that but I've found that particular people that, like, that come up in a certain kind of rationalistic way when they had those kind of apologetics and they had that sort of like super forensic faith. Well, yeah, like, you know, you got all your evidence from that ham person and you knew that the world was only 6,000 years old and then you went to a science class and got better information. So now I need to move from here to over here. And that's not super compelling to me either. I remember reading a Bart Ehrman book for the first time. You know Bart Ehrman, this New Testament scholar like in Chapel Hill, and it's like, man, what rationalism. You know, uh, the story of Jesus caught in adultery was a later addition to the text. Therefore, the Bible is false. Okay. (laughs) Another thing for another time. Here's my point. I'm really convinced that so much of our lives and so much of our religious lives and maybe non-religious lives in America is it's so in the head it's rationalism and there's there's kind of a Christian rationalism and there's an atheist kind of rationalism but it's all right here it all happens between your ears it's all cerebral it tends to be detached I don't have time to go into this in the way that I want to but one of the things that I'm coming to think about, we're ha- I know lots of us are having a lot of conversations around race right now. One of the things I'm coming to believe about whiteness is that whiteness is not just an ethnicity, nor is whiteness just a social construct, but whiteness is a kind of religion. 
that is disembodied and detached. And I'm just finding that any of that kind of religion in any direction, whether you're a fundamentalist or an anti-fundamentalist, just bores me to tears. Last thing I want to do is sit around in a group of white people talking about who is God and what is God? Like it's a terribly detached way of being in the world. Biblical faith, the faith that we read about in a text like this, the faith we get in the gospels is a faith that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, feel, touch, try, experiment. Reach out your hands. Get out of your head. Get out of your head. So many of the, for a lot of us who've been around the church for a long time, like we're so, we're so in our heads. And don't get me wrong, I know like everybody is going to doubt. You know, I'm, I was moved reading excerpts from Mother Teresa's journal about the last 20 years of her life, all the doubt, and she's doing the best work in the world, right? But yet, I will say like as kind of a general principle, I'm really starting to, how can I say this? I find that there's, some, there's a certain kind of doubting that I have. Well, for one, there's a difference between doubt and cynicism. That's important. Um, Thomas doubts in the direction of Jesus. He's looking for reasons to believe. Cynicism is when you're looking actively for reasons not to believe. I've been cynical too, so no judgment at that. But I do think there's a difference between doubt and cynicism. But what I find, like, the more I, I engage in this kind of hopeful doubting, you know, when I respond to the invitation to, to touch and to taste and to feel, like, there's just the more bodily my faith becomes, the less, I, the less time I spend sitting around spinning in abstract thoughts one way or the other. Does that make sense? That's what I love about the practice. Remarkably, it's built on practices. Not about thinking things, but doing things. Not about believing things, but practicing things. This is the center of this experience. An actual meal where you actually taste and see. Jesus in that text said, touch and see. Touch and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation. And I find like the more I get into those bodily practices, for that matter, if I'm honest, the more I'm engaged in ministry to other hurting bodies around me. My friend Carlos just last week was speaking at a church in Sacramento where over 60% of the people there are undocumented immigrants. And I don't think people are sitting around in a Sunday school class having abstract conversations about a Bart Ehrman book because there's something about being on the front lines. There's something about living real life. There's something about uh, being deeply engaged with principalities and powers and opposition that gets you out of your head. And that, that is the invitation I would want to, to extend to you tonight, to get out of your heads. Really, that's the invitation always when we come to the table. Get out of your head. To get into a faith, to get into something that's, that's more bodily, to not be afraid of that which is bodily, to not be afraid of that which is emotional, to not, uh, to not somehow think that the, the cool thing is to be cerebral, disembodied. I, I don't know if this is a random story to bring up right now, but it feels like this could be important for somebody. At least this is coming hot off the presses in my life. I'm in a season right now where I'm really trying to discern a lot of things, and I'm, which sounds like a lot of my life, actually, but I really am right now. A lot of things I'm trying to discern, and I am still very much, you know, y'all know I 
uh, always refer as a hillbilly Pentecostal, I am charismatic enough, you know, to where I definitely have in this season found myself kind of like, I hate to say desperation, there's probably been a little bit, I've kind of called all the most wise spiritual people that I know that I think have a really beautiful walk with the Holy Spirit, because quite frankly, in our vernacular, where I come from, I've been looking for a word, like I need a word. And a few weeks ago, I was with my friend Krista, Krista Black Gifford is her name, and I feel like Krista really walks in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was glad I had time with her because I thought she might have a word for me about what I'm supposed to do about some of these decisions. And here was the word she had for me, which is fairly disappointing. Her word for me was that God was not going to give me a word. That was her word. That was her word. Her word was God is not going to give you a word about this decision through me or through anybody else. Because you always think there's a script. You're always trying to figure out the script. And she said, I feel like the question the Holy Spirit wants to ask you right now is, what do you want? And I don't even know how to hear that. Because it doesn't matter what I want. What dost thou want for me, O Lord? Because what I want is surely on some level going to be attached to my body. What I want on some level is going to be attached to some kind of desire. And I know that I'm a fundamentally flawed, sinful human being. I can't listen to my desires. And she like hit this, she like thundered me with it like four or five times. Like, what do you want? She got, what do you want? It was funny because like, I'm so wired though to think that want, desire, body is still the bad part of me. That's like, I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it. So a couple days later, I was speaking um, just outside New Orleans, which is my favorite city in the world, preaching in a place, Covington on the North Shore. And I was staying with my friends there. And there are a couple, like my, my friend Tim is in his 70s. He's very wise. And once again, still, even after, I'm still kind of looking for the word. And so I, I was having a conversation with him about the same thing. You know, he's trying to discern what's going on. And he says to me, you know, um, I really think, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, by our, our friend Rob. He said, I think you need to listen to this podcast on you listening to you. And I kind of heard, like, okay, I should check that out sometime. He said, it was about discernment. It's about intuition, about listening to your deep. I think you need to hear that. And I kind of filed that away because that's helpful. Like, I'm glad to listen to a podcast, but, you know, I'm looking for a word. I would like something more than like, you know, I've, I've, y'all, I've heard podcasts and I make a podcast. Like, I don't really, you know, so I, I didn't really think much about it until the next night I'm speaking again at this thing at the, at the church there on the North Shore. And I had dinner with the pastor and his wife. In the middle of the conversation, I promise you, the pastor's wife says, and y'all may not, I don't know what you feel about this, maybe because I am a hillbilly Pentecostal, I put too much emphasis on synchronicity and stuff, but I admittedly am getting spookier and spookier and weirder about these things and trusting them. I promise you, the pastor's wife said, you know, Jonathan, I don't know why, but I was thinking, I never listen to podcasts. I never listen to this particular podcast. But the other day I was, I was listening to Rob's podcast and he has this thing on you listening to you. And I really felt like I should tell you, you ought to listen to that. It's about discernment. And intuition, and listening to your truest self. And she pulls out her notepad and starts reading things to me off of it. And her notes, and they're all stuff like about what makes you most come alive and all the, like, it just, I'm just, and I'm at the table just, just crying because I know, like, the North Shore is about 50 minutes outside New Orleans proper. 
And so late that night, I was driving back over the bridge. I actually did finally listen to the podcast itself. And I mean, I, I was just, oh, I, I just, I, I, I bawled. Because I was sitting there, it's like, oh, it finally landed on me. Oh, like, when you ask me, what do you want? Like, you really meant like, what do you want? <laughs> because I still was filtering that through like, yeah, but, but what's the right answer? You know, but what, what, but no, really, just tell, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Oh, you're actually not going to tell me what I'm supposed to do. You're telling me, figure out what you want and go and do that. I know that our wants can be deceptive, but you know what? I think where our wants are deceptive is on a top level. I think when we get down to our deepest, truest desires, the desires of our true self as people who are fearfully and wonderfully made and created in the image of God, there is something there that can be trusted. Here's, here's the point. I hope that didn't take us too far off track. I just am increasingly coming to believe that the faith that Christ is calling us to is bodily and is experiential. And you live it from here and from here much more than you live it from here. It's about getting out of your head and into your body. Even, well, that part of what's so fascinating is it about even this text is not only this wonderful exchange between Jesus and Thomas, not only the invitation to touch, not only the invitation to like put your hand in my side if that's what you need to do, but the other thing I think that's so awesome about this, all the disciples are freaked out. Is this a ghost? What's really going on? By the way, NRSV translates that after this, that they're wondering and doubting. So apparently they're all doubting, although poor Thomas is the only one that we still continue to call out. They're all trying to figure out what's going on. And how about this? Jesus, in his genius, wonderful Jesus way, only Jesus can do this. In the midst of all this, we have we just lost our faith. We just saw Jesus tortured and killed and crucified. They have been through trauma. Now we think there's a ghost talking to us. There, it's so frightening. It's so awful. And Jesus says, if you guys had anything to eat, I'm starving. I mean, like, 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 do, you, like do you feel how insane and wonderful that is? because their wheels have been spinning and they've retreated in here and everything is falling apart. And now they have all these questions that have not yet been answered. And now in the midst of all of this angst that they've been in, Christ appears to, to them in the midst of this heavy moment, just like I think many of us are in a, are in a heavy moment it's a heavy moment in time. This, everything happening with school shootings right now. I mean, all of that. And, and guns. It's, it's so heavy and it ought to be heavy. And the conversations we're having about race are heavy. We ought to be having them and it ought to be heavy. And, the, 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 and what exactly is going on in the White House? And then, wait a second, dear God, what's happening in my house? And here comes Jesus. How about some fish? Had any fish lately? Fish! What? <laughs> Next thing you know, the scene ends with Jesus and the disciples sitting around the campfire, sharing a meal. Jesus doesn't answer the existential questions, and he doesn't explain everything about his resurrected form. 
there's an invitation to come and eat. And all I'm saying, I've gone on long enough, all I'm saying is right here once again, we come as disciples who are doubting and who are disillusioned and who are processing any and all number of issues and there's such a storm in here and there's all these questions in our heads that need to be answered and here Christ comes in the middle of all that and says, why don't you sit down and let me pour you a drink? Why don't you come to the table? Why don't you stop thinking for a moment and just, just eat? Can't we just be together? Can't we just do this fundamentally human thing? You're hungry, I'm hungry. Can't we just come here and eat? Can't you for just a moment get out of your head and stop asking all those wonderful questions and stop trying to wrangle and stop trying to figure out and just have an experience with God together? That's the invitation. I'll say it one more time in the language of the Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. The way that you know things, I went to seminary. I'm all for going to seminary. I'm all for training or whatever. But you know something? The way you know things in God's kingdom is not through academic study. It's not through research. It's not through philosophical wrangling the way that you know anything about God is through tasting it is only through tasting that you can see we have not seen until we have tasted the word in the old testament yada the hebrew word yada is the same the word that's used to talk about knowing God is the same word that's used euphemistically to describe Adam and Eve making love is Adam knew Eve that that's the kind of knowing that we're called to now don't mean to make it weird the point is that it's experiential it's experiential it's not in your head it's not come and think deep thoughts about God taste and see come and know and the beautiful thing for all of us doubters who need to feel who need to taste who need to see who need something practical tangible touchable is that thankfully God has actually offered us a very tangible faith. Thankfully, there is a meal for us to taste. Thankfully, there are our own bodies to engage in these practices. And then there's also the bodies of the people all around us. And through the, the brokenness of the bodies around us, somehow, mysteriously, we touch something of the body of Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for us. God, we spend so much of our lives trapped in our heads the hamster wheel just keeps spinning there's so many things that we do not know there are so many things that I do not know and when it comes to the details in many ways there, there, there's a lot of stuff I am less sure about than I've ever been and yet I'm more certain than I've ever been at how real you are, at how good you are. And Lord, I just pray even tonight in the midst of all the things that we're struggling with, that you would allow things to get real simple again for just a moment. Not because you're gonna answer all the questions, but because in just a moment, we're gonna have a meal 
we're going to come hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Not righteous, but hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Desperate for goodness. And I thank you, God, that in these moments where we need something physical that we can touch and taste, we need something that we can hang on to, that instead of berating us or making us or shaming us, telling us we don't have enough faith, you offer the same invitation that you did to Thomas. Come on and touch me. Come on and drink deeply. Come on and taste. Come on and feel. Come on and experience. Come on and know. Extend that invitation to us once more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.